Well, since it's going to be one of those kind of sermons, you might as well begin late and go long. <laughs> um, we have been we've been looking at this uh, um, we've been we've been uh, looking at this section of scripture where Jesus says some of the harshest things he says anywhere in the entire Bible. Some of the harshest things are right here in chapter twenty three. We've been looking at it the last couple of weeks, and we've learned that the word "woe" when Jesus says "woe to you," that that's an expression of pain. It's like when you stub your toe, or if you're a carpenter and you. You pound your thumb with a hammer. Um, that that expression, woe, is what they would say instead of ouch. So Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees we've seen are the religious experts of the day. The scribes are the ones whose, whose job it was. It was a job passed down from father to son in certain families that they would be uh, religious experts. They would begin learning at a very early age of what all of the the religious law, the the civil law, the the moral law, of Israel was because people were illiterate. They didn't know how to read. And even if they could read, uh, Bibles were, were very expensive. Uh, no one could afford them. So you'd go to a scribe and you'd find out what you're supposed to, to know. Uh, Pharisees were the same sort of thing, except instead of doing it for a living, they did it because they loved it. They, they were amateurs. They truly loved the law and they wanted to obey it as closely as they could. And they wanted everybody else to, too. So they are the religious experts, but Jesus calls them hypocrites. And we've learned that that word hypocrite is a word from the stage. It's, it's the, the actors of the era would, would perform behind a mask. And so that, that would be their persona. And uh, Jesus is saying that there is a difference between what's behind the mask and the mask you present to the world, that, that you are different from what people um, see. And so we don't have to unpack all the business about the the cup and the tomb to know that Jesus is saying more things. He's talking about a tomb that's dirty on the inside but pretty on the outside. He's talking about a cup that is that is uh, dirty on the inside but very clean on the outside. So we can understand that this is more imagery to do with this idea of being different on the inside than on the outside. And I guess at this point, we've been looking at this, we've been seeing that Jesus has, has complained about the way that the Pharisees and the scribes interpreted the law. He talked about how, how they made it very hard for converts, but they made it very easy on themselves. There were things that, that if you wanted to become a, a convert, they would give you all kinds of hoops you had to jump through. But when it came time to interpreting it in their own situation, they would always pick the lightest and easiest things to do. So Jesus has criticized how they interpreted the law, but now he gets uh, right down to the, the, the real meat of his argument. He says, there is a problem with being a hypocrite. It's not just a question of how they interpret the law. It's also a question of being a hypocrite. And I think a lot of us can get nervous at this point because we can say, what's so bad about being a hypocrite? I don't mean that there's anything good about being a hypocrite. What I mean is Jesus hung out with all kinds of bad people. He hung out with tax collectors and prostitutes. He hung out with thieves. He hung out with with people who collaborated with the occupying government. He hung out with soldiers who were part of the occupying government. Jesus Jesus had all kinds of friends who had a, a big ethical cloud over their, their head, and he didn't seem to have a problem with them. But hypocrisy really, really bugs Jesus. And that should make us worried because a lot of us have a have a kind of a, a way of being that maybe leans in that direction. Um, in, in my family, uh, we had it drilled into us very early on that we did not air our dirty laundry in public. We were just taught that you 
you kind of put your your best foot forward and if there's things going on in the family then then they're in the family and you deal with them in the family so so we wonder what's what's um what's wrong with being a hypocrite i mean what's especially wrong with being a hypocrite why is it worse than all these other things um i had a friend some years ago named karen uh she was she was in a bible study with me and we were talking one day we're talking about this phenomenon. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced it. Probably not because you're all good Christians. But, um, but she and I found a certain uh, resonance um, in this uh, story because she was talking about how uh, things had kind of fallen apart. As soon as they got up that morning, uh, people were, were sleeping in and kids were not moving at the right speed and they're, they're uh, running behind schedule. They're arriving at church late and they're in the parking lot and there's been some gritted teeth and maybe some strong language and, and maybe even a little bit of kind of shouting. And she said, when they got to the church parking lot, she, she turned to the back seat and told the kids, now put a smile on your face because we're going to go into that church and learn all about the love of Jesus. And I think a lot of us have, have kind of experienced something, maybe not that exact story, but where we've tried to kind of uh, uh, sort things out in the car before we get out and face the church. We want to look different in the church then we are um, Monday through Saturday. That we're trying to put our best foot forward. We don't want to air our dirty laundry in public. And so if Jesus is really bent out of shape about hypocrites, we have to ask, is that dangerous? Would it be better if I just stayed home from church that day? Um, and, and the answer is it depends. The answer is it depends why we are acting hypocritically. So in order to understand what Jesus is getting at, we're going to have to unpack a little bit of what's going on culturally. And first of all, we have to understand the, the context. The context is the Passover. The Passover is the biggest holiday in the Jewish calendar. It is it is Christmas and Thanksgiving and Fourth of July all rolled into one. There's there's national pride, there's there's a religious observance, and there's also just some some uh, pigging out on a lot of food. So it's it's a great holiday. Everybody wanted to come. In fact, there was actually a law that said anyone within a certain distance had to come. So you couldn't say, well, you don't get to come. You have to work today. Everybody had to come uh, to be part of the Passover. Uh, but there is a catch. And the catch is that if you are ritually unclean, you can't participate. Now, uh, we have a problem with the word unclean. Uh, this is a problem. I've never found a Bible that has a better translation. They talk, they use words like defilement or uncleanness or impurity. And those all go right to one place in our, in our hearing. We think in terms of germs and dirtiness, uh, because that's where we live. We have microscopes. We have refrigeration. We understand how things decompose. We understand what makes things go bad. We understand, you know, how you can be uh, you can contract uh, food poisoning because there's because it's tainted with something. So we understand why you want to be clean in their kitchen. This is nothing to do with that. This is, I mean, they weren't stupid. They understood that that people would would you know if you ate rotten food, it would make you sick. But they didn't they didn't understand it in terms of cleanness the way we do. They weren't worried about antiseptic uh, properties or anything like that. For them, uncleanness. The word that's translated uncleanness or impurity has to do with your status before God. Are you going to be permitted to to go worship God uh, because of your status? It doesn't mean God's angry at you. It doesn't mean that you have sinned. Um, it's 
It's actually a tripwire that says, if you go any further in this direction, you will offend God, so stop here. It's kind of a cutout to avoid offending God. And, and it's corrected. It's self-correcting. There's, there's usually some, some ritual you perform or for a lot of the ways that you could become unclean. All you do is you wait till sundown. You're, you're unclean for the rest of the day. Sundown comes and, and poof, you're, you're magically clean again. And it's not a big deal. You just need to kind of uh, follow the rules. So that's what's going on. But the context is Jesus is having this conversation right before a big holiday when nobody wants to be ritually unclean. So that's what's going on uh, at the beginning. And unfortunately, the people he's talking with have come up with all kinds of ways you can be clean, uh, unclean. They have added to the actual rules that are in the Bible that say what would make you unclean. Uh, a lot of the rules have to do with, with the dietary law. Um, most of us have heard somewhere along the way that Jews have dietary laws. Um, you can't eat bacon, for example. Pigs are an unclean animal. If you eat a pig, if you even touch a pig, um, if you come in contact with a pig's carcass, then you are unclean and you have to wait until sundown. And um, depending on what you did, there may be other things. But basically, you have to wait till sundown. You're unclean the rest of that day. So if that was the day you were planning on going to the Passover, well, you made a big mistake. So what what they did is they said, you know, you have these special special things you do to avoid coming in contact with these animals. And, and it wasn't just pigs. We heard uh, last week about camels and gnats are also unclean animals. Uh, but there's also more common animals that, that are more of a problem. Lizards and rats. So you can imagine in, in, in the ancient world, you've got a house, you've got some dishes or pots and uh, cookware, things like that. You don't necessarily know if your house is bug-proof or, or uh, uh, vermin-proof. And so a lizard may climb into your house and, and get stuck in a pot and die there. And the rule says, okay, you, you, you smash the pot, you get a new pot, and you wait till sundown and you're clean. Uh, but what the religious experts, they started thinking about, well, you know, I don't know if maybe a lizard got in my pot and then got out and went away. Did he, did he infect the pot with his uncleanness while he was running through my cabinet? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what, I will wash the pot just to be sure. That way I know that if there was any kind of residual lizard uncleanness, it's now taken care of. And so they said, we're going to wash the pot. They made up a whole bunch of extra rules. And if you didn't wash the pot, then it was presumed that lizards had been running through it and that you were somehow getting in trouble because, you know, that person, he eats food without even washing off any potential lizard problems, right? So you can imagine what a bad sinner that person is. And and Jesus is looking at that, and he's looking at the business with the tombs. Let me tell you about the tombs. Where do the tombs come from? Well, uh, just like you can't eat lizards, you're also not allowed to eat people. Uh, it's part of the dietary law, and you're not allowed to touch their corpses. So if circumstances require you to touch a dead body, then again, you're ritually unclean for a period of time, um, and, and you have to deal with that. And so if, if you want to avoid becoming ritually unclean, then don't come in contact with dead bodies. Uh, now, the problem is, they didn't understand exactly where this is coming from, right? So so there are dead bodies in the ground. And I don't know where the boundary of uncleanness stops, right? The, the, the dead body is in a casket. The casket is in a tomb. The tomb is in the ground. What if I walk over the ground? Will I somehow have that uncleanness from the dead body uh, kind of transmitted up through through the ground 
to me if I happen to walk over a tomb. So what I have to do, and what they did do every spring, is they would they would whitewash all the tombs as a kind of a warning sign to people, watch out, don't walk here, because there's a tomb here. Um, we mark our graves today, and honestly, there may have been some kind of uh, respect for the dead as well. You know, we put flowers on people's graves. So there may have been some of that too. But at least officially, the reason they t- they they whitewashed the tombs was so that people would be alerted to the possibility they might become unclean by coming in contact through this kind of chain of events uh, with with the dead body. So that's what Jesus is looking at. And he says, you people have completely missed the point. Uh, you, you have been focusing exclusively on these externalities, these things that are exterior, and they're not what's important. What's important is what's on the inside. He says there's two problems. We're going to look at the second one next week. The first one is it kind of makes God out to be a jerk. If God is going to punish you somehow, if God's going to send an earthquake or a plague, if God's going to, going to give you an a, a infestation of locusts locust to destroy your crop because a lizard ran through your cabinet and you weren't aware of it, that's kind of that's a jerky kind of God. And Jesus is saying, look, God is not angry at you. God's not going to punish you for something that probably didn't even happen. So you can relax. So Jesus is saying, first of all, that's that's a problem. And again, we'll we'll see that next next time. But um, the other problem is that's not where your real problems come from in life. Your problems in life don't come from the fact that a lizard ran through your cabinet. The problem is the thing inside you that destroys your relationships and brings grief into your life. You know the 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 thing you have to deal with is the thing when you're when you're at the grocery store and you're checking out and you add a candy bar to the to the to the items even though your doctor told you you need to lose weight and nobody forced you to take that candy bar but it just looked really good and so you said you're going to take it right i can you know i can always work it off or whatever uh it's that thing inside you that makes you do things that are destructive um either to yourself or to relationships it's the thing inside the movie star who gets arrested for solicitation or for shoplifting. Somebody who goes out and does something stupid that's going to bring shame and, and notoriety and affect their career um, just because they just can't stop themselves. It's, it's, it's the thing when you are anxious about a test, you know it's an important test, you've got to pass this test, Your your career is going to be affected because you won't get through this class and you won't take the next class, you won't graduate on time. This is a very important test and you're so anxious that all you can do is go party because partying is more fun than dealing with the anxiety from the test. It's that thing inside us that messes things up. That's what Jesus says the Pharisees and the scribes need to deal with. You, You know the thing I'm talking about. It's the thing when you get the offer in the mail and it says, get one more credit card. And we have a low introductory APR. And so what you can do is you can take all your other credit cards and shift the balance onto this one, and then you'll be paying it down at a very low rate. And you say, that sounds like a great plan. And the next thing you know, you've got one more credit card that's maxed out. And you're thinking, maybe I'm going to do it, you know, this is the lucky time. If I do it a seventh time, this is the one I'm actually going to follow through with. Or the one where you fall off, the thing inside you, where you fall off the wagon because you've been sober for six weeks and you say, I have gotten some strength and now I can go take a drink. 
I can, I can just have one drink this time. It's that that Jesus says we need to deal with. That thing inside us, the thing inside us that seems to, to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Jesus says that is the problem. And when you're worried about some imaginary problem with lizards and God striking you somehow because of, because of that, he says you're missing the real problem. He says, you're a pretty tomb on the outside, but inside you're full of filth. He says, your cup looks great on the outside, but inside it's a mess. Jesus says, that's what needs to be dealt with. Now the good news is that's what he came to do. That's why Jesus came. He didn't come to help sort out dietary restrictions or or give us new ways of dealing with, with what happens when a lizard runs through the cabinet. What Jesus came is to deal with that interior problem we all have. Years ago, I had a friend whose car was affectionately known as the Bondo Mobile. Um, I don't know how many of you are uh, have had the opportunity to become familiar with Bondo, but Bondo is a putty you put on your car, and the reason you do it is because when you when you get a ding in your car, you get a bent uh, bent fender or something like that. You can you can beat on that with a hammer until the cows come home, and you're never going to get it just right. There's something that is in the, the the metal that once it's been bent, once it's been deformed, it will never be quite right. And so what you do is you put some bondo, you get it as smooth as you can, and you put some bondo on it, and you sand that down, and you make it as slick and and smooth as possible, so it looks like the original fender. And then you paint that and you cover up the bondo. Well, my friends, he, he never got around to the painting part, but he, he had, I don't know, six or eight bondo spots on his, on his car. Um, so someday it'll be painted. I, I, he may have done it by now. Um, Jesus says that that's essentially our problem, that there is something inside of us. There, there's, there's a bent fender and we can beat on it with a hammer all we want, but it's still going to be a bent fender. We're never going to get it perfect. And so what we can do is we can put Bondo on the outside and, and paint it so it, it's smooth and slick and it looks almost like a good fender, but we haven't dealt with the underlying problem. We haven't dealt with the bent metal fender. And Jesus says, that's what I came to do. I came to give you new life. I came to give you a new fender. So you don't have to deal with that Bondo. So what is the application? Well, the application is if you're dealing with Bondo, if you're trying to make your tomb look good on the outside, if you're trying to make your cup look good on the outside, Jesus says, don't sweat that stuff. That's not important. He says, deal with what's inside. Come to him because he can give you a new fender. He can straighten out what's broken on the inside. So that's the first application. The first application is if you're not doing that, if you're worried about what's on the outside, if you're worried about how people will perceive you, what people will think about you, then don't as much as people can. I mean, you know, but, but, but make that a secondary concern. Deal with the real problem. Deal with the underlying problem. And the second thing is for us collectively to be the kind of a church where people can have the argument in the car and come into the church and find grace and not feel that they have to put on a happy face, not feel that somehow they've got to look better than they really are, to be the kind of place where we realize we all 
had dent fend- dented fenders. We all have only one choice, which is Jesus or Bondo. And we're going to be the kind of place where people can come in with their bent-up cars and they're going to find grace. Jesus says, he says, first work on the inside of the cup so the outside can become clean. He says, if you get these things in the right order, the outside will take care of itself in God's time. He's going to deal with that. But he says, what we need to work on is the inside. That's my prayer for us as a congregation, and it's my prayer for each one of us as individuals. Amen.